This morning I'll be reading from Psalm 40. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn there. I have this urge to say this is another one of my favorite <laughs> scriptures. Psalm 40, David is writing this for us, and he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is what we have. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many who see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you shall, excuse me, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness and the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O oh Lord, you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O oh Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I cannot or am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. And as we continue in worship, if you would, bow your heads, your hearts with me, and let's go to the Lord and call upon his great name. Father, we are very grateful and thankful Lord, that this day and this time we can humble ourselves and bow our heads and our hearts before you and call upon your great name and know, Lord, that you hear us, that you receive us. Lord, how humbling that is 
Um, the, the holy God who created all things and set everything in its place invites us to come in, not of our own accord, not of our own efforts or strivings or anything that we could conjure up and try to make ourselves worthy, but only at the name of Jesus. There is only one name you've given to us and by which we might be saved. There is only one name given to us by which we might come into your throne room and call upon you. And it's Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, Lord, his work, his life, his work upon the cross, his sinless life, Lord, the resurrection. Thank you, God, that, that in his name we can come and we can sing these songs and we can worship you. We can proclaim that you are holy and mighty and awesome. And we can sing these songs that say you are worthy. You alone are worthy. You are worthy unto yourself, you are worthy. And yet you have provided for us salvation. You have so loved us that you sent your son. God, who are we? You love us this way. We simply say, Lord, thank you. And we know, Lord, that you are holy in all your ways, in all your attributes, in all your names. No sin can be in your presence. And so, Lord, coming before you in the name of Jesus, we take time now and confess our sins. We confess, Lord, for the struggles that uh, we're dealing with, the cares maybe that we haven't cast down. Lord, forgive us. I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for those thoughts, uh, Lord, that might be sinful, maybe those thoughts which have led to words and actions. God, please forgive us. I pray, Lord, that we would have a heart that mourns over sin, that would turn from it, that we would realize, as David realized, as uh, Lord, many throughout your word realize, that all our sin is against you. You only do we sin. And so, Lord, we take time to acknowledge that and ask that you would have mercy upon us this day, that, we, uh, that you'd be true to your word yet again, and, and Lord, cleanse us. Lord, forgive us often of wanting our own ways and desiring our own ends and Lord, going and, and having our own standard in which to conduct our lives, often our neck is stiff and our pride is there and yet we don't see it. Often we go with self-righteousness. Lord, please forgive us. Have mercy upon us. We plead for your activity. We plead that, that wonderful verse, Father, that says you will be faithful to bring that good work you've begun to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We plead that you would, just as David said, blessed is the man who has the Lord as his trust. I pray that this day by your spirit, Lord, we would trust completely in you and you alone, that we would have a love for your word and for your law that uh, points us to Calvary. Let us understand how wonderful that is. Lord, give us eyes this day to see you high and lifted up, to see you magnified. Give us eyes to see your hand of providence at work shaping us, even in moments where it may feel like you're so far away, let us have that knowledge and the truth of your word down deep inside of us that knows that you are ever-present and omnipresent. God, give us ears to hear your, your voice through your word, commanding us and directing us and teaching us. I pray by your spirit that each of us would have a growing hunger, Lord, for the truths of your word. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would simply draw us closer. God, we are this morning, this day, this time, thankful that you love us. Like David, we can say you truly are our help and our deliverer. Lord, we know that, that you are glorified in your church and in the lives of your children. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. 
God, thank you for this time. We pray now, Lord, for our nation. We pray for our president, uh, Lord, his administration. We pray for our state leaders, our governor. We pray for our community leaders, or those who have, uh, have been placed above us by your sovereign God. Uh, we pray that their hearts would be inclined towards justice and righteousness. And we pray, Lord, for those who serve in our own communities, our first responders and our sheriffs and police. We ask that you keep them safe. Lord, we pray for the families of our community, many who are going without hope, many who are struggling with this virus and the repercussions of, of depression. Many, Lord, even in our own community have made the decision to take their lives. And God, we, we ask that your grace and your mercy would be extended to those families, to our communities, that that would be done, Lord, through your church. We pray for pastors and leaders in churches, God, that they would be awakened to the gospel, awakened to the needs around us. Lord, give us eyes to see, eyes that uh, see, Lord, like you do. We have a heart that breaks for the lost a heart that loves your word, a heart that loves to see families restored. I pray for us this morning, Lord, for maybe some who are, who are just struggling today. I ask God your grace would be extended to them. I pray for marriages this morning that might be struggling, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. I pray for children, Lord, and uh, students, and just the, the adjustments that are happening in society and in home, I would imagine as well. God, we ask for your grace. We pray for outreach even in the context of these things. We ask that, Lord, each soul here this morning would come and, and receive what you have for us. Let us this day be encouraged. Let us realize you are at work. Let us realize you're true to your word and you change not. Let us take comfort and encouragement in this. And Father, as your church and as your children, I pray that as we see opportunity to be a voice and a light for you, please lead us that way. Strengthen us and give us boldness, but Lord, keep us close. We do want to take time as well, Lord, to pray over the offering, those who are prepared to give today, in, in the, whether it's online or in the box in the back, that our heart would always be um, desiring simply, Lord, to worship you. And like David, we would have this, this heartbeat to realize that all that we are all that we could ever be, Lord, by your grace and your mercy, it's because of you. So, Lord, let us give with that, that desire that we'd see the gospel preached and the kingdom grow. Let that be our, our heart. Let it be who we are. And, Lord, we thank you again for this time. Continue to draw us close. Continue to be at work. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we... Uh, uh, Continue in worship this morning, right? Uh, please turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I know some of you are thinking, wow, we've been in the last chapter for a long time now. Are we going to wrap this letter up? Uh, well, Lord willing, not today, right? Just so you know. <clears throat> I'd like to just look at two verses that, that to me and I imagine to you as well would uh, seem quite abrupt, right? I mean, uh, Paul is, he's concluding his letter, and it's, you know, I, again, if I was writing this, I would have ended with verse 58 of chapter 15. It's just good, right? 
And yet we see such wonderful things the Holy Spirit is communicating and what we learn from uh, resources such as money and uh, resources such as opportunities and time and then with people like last Sunday when, right, he's telling the Corinthians, "Don't, don't abuse, right? Timothy, extend grace to him is important to me and and it seems as if he's just kind of coming to these conclusions, but he just can't quite get there, right? Verses 13 and 14 seem uh, quite abrupt. Uh, he has five. I mean, he ends with, with what we just talked about the last few weeks, right? And he's, he's talking about don't abusing Timothy and the policies, and, and he's saying we're not, you know, we're not home yet, right? And then he comes and he hits them with five imperative verbs, right? Five commands. Uh, it's almost like, He's waking them up or something, right? Wait, you know, grab your shoulders and pay attention to this. And, and I think there's, there's something, because the Holy Spirit placed it this way in Scripture, there's something for us to realize about, about being human, about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And many of us, for many years, it's easy to become complacent, right? It's easy even in our courage, as the Bible, as Paul has been telling them, even when we do good things, right? And our courage for Christ and our our resolve in Christ. It's easy for a, for a church or even a Christian to become complacent even in that, right? This is just what I do, and it loses its, its focus. It loses its, its, um, its drive or its motive behind it. There's a story of the Frenchman who was, uh, before the Twin Towers, of course, were, um, came down, he put a tightrope across them, and he, was, he walked across the two Twin Towers up some... 1,350 feet above the ground, right? And he does it. He completes it. And it was sometime later, he was, he was on another high wire, much lower to the ground, and, and he fell. And he lives like 30 feet. I mean, that's enough for me to, man, I, I would never do it again at 30 feet. Well, I'd, I'd never do it anyway, but <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, but he falls, but it is said that when he was on the ground, he was hitting the ground and saying, this never happens to me, this never happens to me, I never fall. And, and there, it becomes to me just this picture of how easy it is for us as humans to become complacent and come to a place where, man, I, I can't believe this happened. And it's a slow fade, right? And I see these now, these verses here, these two verses, five imperative verbs, five commands that seem out of place, but it seems like in the context of flowing and wrapping this letter up, we see the, the, just the necessity, right, of us being aware that even in good things we do for Christ, we can become complacent. And it's easy for us to come to this place, and, and maybe in our own spirit we've said, ah, that won't happen to me, I never fall. And then find ourselves one day uh, not even being able to attend church. Not being able to receive prayers from my brothers and sisters. Telling those, don't waste your time. You, you hear of those stories. And so we come to this and, and Paul says, here's these, here's these five imperative verbs. And he says this to the church, right? Right after he's talked about Apollos, urging Apollos to come. You know, don't abuse Timothy, you know, da 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 And then he says this in verse 13, watch. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Verse 14, let all that you do be done with love. Before we go any further, let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, 
As we look to your word now, we ask that your spirit be with us, that you would teach us and instruct us, that we would grow in understanding. I pray that for us this morning who need conviction, bring conviction. For those who need encouragement, Lord, let your spirit encourage us. For those with going out hope, let hope be what we have today. Hope in you, hope in Christ. So let that resonate, Lord, with us. And uh, as always, get me out of the way that every thought in life be fixed upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it seems a little bit, I would imagine you would agree with me. If you don't agree with me, don't just keep it to yourself. Uh, but it seems a little uh, abrupt that he just simply is closing. I'm urging Paulus to come and then watch, right? Command. You are commanded to watch. You're commanded to stand fast in the faith. You're commanded to be, this is where he comes. And the Holy Spirit just kind of puts it all right there, right? I mean, that's, there it is. Bam. And it's almost like, okay, this seems out of place a little bit. So you have to look at this, and we know there's good things for us in following after Christ and understanding this, but why is there such an urgency? Why does Paul simply come, hey, you know, it'd be good for you guys to, you know, be careful, be, have, have an eye out, and da-da-da-da. No, he comes with uh, a sense of urgency. He comes with a sense of commanding us, right? The Holy Spirit is commanding us as Christians to be doing this. Well, I think it's important for us to kind of realize as we think about this is that we do, in one sense, have an adversary, Right? So we have uh, uh, Satan, right? So we know that he is, a, he is against us. We know that he has, has ways in which he can tempt us and Lord the church, right? And leaders and so on. And it's interesting to begin to look at this, right? And, and it's smart for us to go, okay, if the Corinthians are in this culture and, and clearly Paul is, is telling them to be strong within the context of the culture, he's telling them to be strong within the context of the church. There's an expectation Paul has for them to actually fix the things he's been writing about, right? It's not just, hey, I'm not writing this for kicks. I actually want you to address those things. But here's where the Corinthians are at. Well, what about us, right? We still have that same adversary. And he uses the same tactics. I've been reading through uh, Joe Beakey and uh, Paul Smiley's, this volume two of their systematics theology with uh, some other guys online, it's about a thousand pages, and, uh, which if I didn't have other guys accounting me to, I probably wouldn't get this thing done. But I came to this and I thought this was so appropriate for today. I thought, man, this is, this is really good because they were talking about the doctrine of sin, right? And they were talking about our adversary and they put it very succinctly. They said, what do we see? And they, and they, they went to the garden, right? And in the garden you have uh, Satan tempting Adam and Eve, and they, and they simply said, what is he saying? What is our, what is our adversary saying to Adam and Eve? Uh, he's saying it is, the food is good. And, and Beaky and Smiley use this as, this is the, the physical satisfaction, right? So in the garden, Satan says, look, this, this fruit, it's good. Then they go, what about Satan and Jesus, right? He's trying to tempt Jesus, and he says to Jesus, right, command this stone to be turned into bread, and then they fast forward to 1 John 2.16. They say, John says it like this, lust of the flesh. So we see, number one, this is our enemy's tactic, and it is physical satisfaction. The second tactic they call beautiful possessions. In the garden, Satan does this to Adam and Eve. Uh, it's as pleasant to the eyes, right? To Jesus, it's showing him all the kingdoms of the world, Look what you can possess if you just bow down and worship me. John calls this, 1 John 2, 16, the lust of the eyes. 
right? Same sin, same tactic. The last one they call God-like greatness, right? Here's our enemy. Here's what he's doing. In the garden, they say to Adam and Eve, it will make you wise, right? You won't be, come on, he doesn't want to do that. That's not really what he said. This will make you wise. In Jesus, the attempting to, to tempt Jesus, he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. You will be the top, right? How does John call it? You know, this is just the pride of life. And we see, right, the tactics of our adversary. We see the physical satisfaction, beautiful possessions, right? Godlike greatness. So why do I say that is, well, this is the context in which you are living, right? Our world today is eating from that tree heavily, right? They're not coming under God's authority. They're eating from that tree. And any attempts to mix Christianity with anything from the world, right? Christianity is always suffers. It always, right, becomes non-Christianity. That's where it goes, right? There's a uniqueness that is lost. Tom Askell, speaking of our leaders in our age, and in this day and age, he says, I don't know if our Christian leaders, either they don't see it or they don't care. And he goes on to say, this is either a lack of theology, a lack of integrity, or a lack of courage. You know, it cannot happen to me. We never fall, right? So this is our society. They have, they have eaten heavily from this tree, right? They have taken on a secularism, right, a new age idea, but it's, it's morphed. What you're dealing with today, what you and I are dealing with in the context of living and watching and standing fast in the faith is you're dealing with people who have really become another, completely another religion, right? It's not just a secularism. We're dealing with a real pagan religion, right? So you have people today who are saying, I'm not going to, to allow God to define who I am, even by birth. We don't have men and women being born anymore, apparently, right, boys and girls. We have, right, you decide. That is God-likeness. That is a lie from our adversary, Right? He has been lying to these people so they can dictate you know, what I want to be. So this has evolved into the point of saying as they uh, self-identify themselves and recreate themselves, and there's loads of books written on the subject. If you'd like, if you're interested, I can put a few in your hands. But uh, they redefine themselves, and it's come to a point where it's a religion that if you begin to tell them, hey, this is actually sin, or you're actually confused. And if you don't uh, embrace right, their self-acknowledgement, well, then the language that you're probably hearing is, you're actually doing violence to me. Right? Have you heard this, silence is violence? Right? If you don't endorse me, you're actually doing me violence. They actually use words such as murder. Right? That's as bad as murdering me. So that's the, the context in which what is happening and so I say that for the churches to be awake, right? You better wake up because uh, here it is. Families are being torn apart because parents aren't accepting of their position. This is what's going on. This is the reasoning. The society, it's happening in our schools. It's all around us. And often the church's response to this has been, well, sinner sin, which is true. That's what they do, Right? But we would never say that sentence if we attached the word rapist to it. Rapist, rape, just it's okay. Murderers, murder. It's just what they do. 
No, what needs to happen, and you know this, and I'm, just, I'm speaking to the congregation literally and uh, figuratively here, um, you know what needs to happen is conversion. People are lost, and this is, this is the context in which you're existing. These are the things you've come across. These are the things I know you've seen on your social media. No longer can you discuss ideas, right? No, if you don't embrace everything I am, you're doing harm to me. See, the world is, is eaten from that tree, right? And the answer is the gospel. And the church is not to be silent or to cower or to cave. Yes, it's to be loving in all things, absolutely. It's to be discerning. You better believe it, and you better understand your adversary. And there's a lot of wisdom to understand what the adversary is doing in our community. That's why we must understand, right, the, the law of God and the gospel of God. What needs to happen is conversion. We need to call them to the truth. Call them that there is a God and he is real. And he, guess what? He sent his son. For those same sinners who are born, who are confused, who misunderstand, those are the ones, right? We need to tell them, guess what? There is hope for you. There is a Savior who has come. His name is Jesus. And we just sing about it. There's no other name under heaven which we have been given. The name of Christ. Why is this so important today? Why am I stressing this? Number one, because God doesn't send sin to hell. God sends unrepentant sinners to hell. Hell is a real place. Earlier as I was reading over the the scripture reading and collecting my thoughts for the prayer, I just had this thought of how many people just have no idea where they're running. They're heading into perdition and the church has kind of been, well, let's not engage that. They They might be harsh to me or they might say a mean word, right? And I'm, I'm stepping on my toes, just so you know. Right? I'm saying this to me, if, if no one else. God doesn't sin, sin to hell. He sends sinners. The other thing is, is when Christ comes. See, right now, Christ is a Savior. Right now, his, his blood is sufficient. Right? To cover any sinner who repents. But, but when he comes, he will not come as a Savior. He will come as a judge, a righteous judge. And today, as Christ is a Savior and He's available to every person who calls upon His name, can be forgiven completely and wholehearted, like everything. But that same Savior, when He comes as a judge, is the one who's going to send those to hell. So there has to be an urgency in the church, there has to be a watchfulness. You know, see where Paul starts to write these words. Not only do I, does he expect them to fix everything going on in this church that's broken, right? That's why he's writing the letter. He also realized this is the culture you're dealing with. So what do we learn about this? Well, the first thing that I put in your notes is the Christian is to be vigilant with God's gospel. Right? You've been given something. Right? Understand it. You've been given the gospel. Right? Live it. Wear it out. Right? So Paul says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Here's four of our imperative verbs. These are commands to you and to me. And Paul is just simply urging, he's urging loyalty to the gospel, right? There has to be a place where there's no more sand to back up and re, you know, recreate the line, right? Well, let's back up, we'll mess that line up. No, don't cross this. There has to be a concrete line where you just say, this is where I stop and I'm not moving here. He said it in verse 58, and in essence, he's saying it here again, 
right? Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Know that all your labor is not, it's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of effort. It's not a waste of your gifts. It's not a waste of any of those things because you know it's not in vain in the Lord. If your conviction and your hope is in Christ and the resurrected Christ, guess what? All that labor, right, puts a smile on our king's face. It's not in vain. So Paul says, look, here's the four imperative verbs. The first one is, what I'm saying, it's a command to be cautious, Right? If this is where we exist, and then and we know some churches unfortunately are imbibing these ideas into the pulpit and, and teaching some type of progressive Christianity, which is really no Christianity at all. I read earlier in a blog this week of a pastor in uh, uh, back east somewhere who came out and said, the word of God isn't even true. You shouldn't even believe it. It's a good book. The guy still calls himself Christian. And I am like, if it's not worth following, why are you showing up on Sunday if the book isn't true? I like Sproul. I love when he says, if there's one maverick molecule, God can't be trusted. Well, if his book can't be trusted, what do you have? A God that's not worth your time. That's what's happening in the pulpits of America. Paul is stressing here, watch, right? This is a continuous readiness. You can almost see the, the, the picture of a soldier being right, equipped here got to be thinking. You got to be discerning, right? You have to realize you have an adversary. It's the same lie, right? We see it in the garden. We saw his attempts with Christ. John writes about it. That's what he's doing. The church is imbibing some of this stuff in and saying, well, there's physical this, there's God-likeness, there's this, right? That's where it comes from. So Paul says, be watched, right? Command to be cautious. The second one, command to be consistent. Wear this gospel out. Know this gospel. Stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith, right? Don't, don't waver here. The line cannot be erased and rewritten. No, this is, where we, this is where we make our stand. When you know nothing else to do, stand. Stand firm. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord's not in vain. 58. Right? Some of us, we should memorize that as a church and say it together next week. Paul looks, he likes this word, stand fast, right? In Philippians 1.27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you, what? Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, right? So we are to strive and stand fast in this truth. It is the conviction of truth. It is the truthfulness of truth. It is God's truth. Yeah, this might sound like a strange way to save the world, right? But it's God's truth, and this is how he did it. And I believe it. I'm fully convinced of it. So Paul says, stand fast in this faith, because if you waver here, everything else that follows doesn't matter. We can hear the words of Jesus telling his disciples in the garden, why don't you pray? Watch and pray. Why? Because there's a real enemy. Paul says, man, stand in the faith. He goes on, I say, command about character. And I really could say here is command about uh, to grow up. I should have probably put it like that. But he says, be brave. What's interesting with this word, it's only used here, but it literally means uh, play the part of a man, act like a man. That's what the word means, (laughs) right? And you're going, okay, that's interesting. Why does he say this word? Be brave, right? Well, he's been dealing with a congregation who's told them they are spiritual children, He's saying it's, you know, that was once then you have to grow up in the Lord. You have to become godly men and godly women, 
right? There has to be a time where you keep moving forward. So he says, be courageous, play the part of a man. No longer can you say, well, we were just, we were just young in the faith or it's not a big deal. No, there is a command now to discipleship. You know, I like saying this. I think we stole this from the Hickman Church. We won't tell them that, but uh, I like how either Andy or Andrew says, you know, if you're not that man, become that man. And I thought, well, that man, isn't that it? I don't care today if you're not that man. Let's, let's start heading that direction. I don't care today if you're not that woman yet. Well, let's start going that way. And there's a direction to Christianity, and Paul is even hitting at it here. There has to be growth. See, the sin isn't being young. The sin isn't being young in Christ. We all start young in Christ. The sin is staying there. Paul is saying, you know what? Man, it's time to grow up. It's time to do hard things. That's so important. I'm going to tell you why that's so important because in the church, right, we still struggle with sin. We're saints with sinners. And oftentimes when we're in sin, we don't want to hear a brother or sister say, hey, right? That's why you have to grow up and say, no, what's good for me is to come back to the cross and then thank the Lord that a brother and a sister looked out for me and was praying for me. That takes maturity. So Paul is saying whether, you know, here's the point, then we're, you're either going to be Christians, right? You're going to grow up and be Christians or we're not going to be Christians at all. I mean, that's, that's the two options. This is why he's saying, watch, stand fast in this. Don't waver here. Right? Grow up as spiritual men and women so you can be strong because you are Christians and you need to hold those truths uh, clear. Right? Keep, them, keep them clear, articulate them, hold them dear to your heart. And then the last one he says here, which I say is a command to be dedicated is be strong. This is a mental psychology, what the word entails, right? That you have the resources necessary. Right? You're going to have to be courageous. You're going to have moments where you're going to question. You're going to have moments when I don't think God heard my prayer, but I know when I pray according to his purposes, just like John says, and I pray according to his will, he hears me. I have this knowledge. I know he's ever present. I know he's omnipresent. I know he keeps his promises. I know this about him. And even though the situation, the context of life, you may not feel that way, I know in whom I have believed. That's what this word contains. You know, it's used, right, in Joshua. Think of these verses where God is reminding Joshua, right? So he's going to take the land. Listen to these words, Joshua 1, 6 and 7. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according all to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn right from the right hand or to the left you may prosper wherever you go don't waver joshua you're gonna have to be strong and courageous right look at verse 9 of chapter 1 same same book same god speaking to the same joshua have i not commanded you be strong and of good courage do not be afraid or be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go same chapter, a few verses later, verse 18, where, excuse me, whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you commanded them shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. There's something about, I think, our human nature where sometimes we just need us to say, you need to be strong here. You need to be brave here. You need to realize that, yeah, you stand against the world. Jesus told you that. 
But guess what? With love and grace and patience and the works of the Holy Spirit that are in your life, you will be a light and a testimony to those right, who are in darkness. See, it's very important for us in, in, in following after Christ, being vigilant here. When Jesus tells them in the garden, watch, right, watch. In the Passion Week, he shares the parable of the ten virgins, and it's all about being vigilant, it's about watching. Be watchful, be vigilant, church, because the enemy is about. Peter tells us that. He's, he's, he's around, right? Our own flesh wants to, to um, betray us. The flesh is not willing. A, you know, a wonderful, powerful example of this is Peter. Peter's good for a lot of examples, isn't he? But there's a series of steps here when Peter tells Jesus, right, I'll never, I will never depart from you. Even if they kill me, I'll never depart from you. I never, ever, ever, ever fall. But look at these steps. What happens to Peter? That's his first problem. He has self-confidence. He's not vigilant at all. His second problem was he was lazy. Jesus told him to watch and pray, and he slept. His third step was compromising. You can see the pattern of Psalm 1 here as well. Instead of keeping close to his master, what does, he, what does he do? He forsakes him, right? They're hauling Jesus off, and he follows from afar. The next step is he ventures into evil company, doesn't he? Trying to, to masquerade his, his dialect. No, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen the guy before. I mean... Moments earlier, right? He's cutting the ear off of a servant. And I'm never going to do this. Here he is. I've never known him. What does he do at the end? He actually curses. He calls upon, he swears by God that I never, ever known him. Now, this is Peter who walked with Jesus. Right? He walked with Jesus. Talked with Jesus. Saw the miracles, did all these great things, and yet here he is. I swear by God, I do not know that man. See, is there a need for us to be vigilant? Oh, man. But everything that started, right, as you look at Peter's life, it wasn't a, an immediate thing, right? It's a slow fade. The seeds of doubt, they were already there, right? It led to him to actually cursing or calling upon us, swearing by God, J.C. Ryle says this, men fall in private long before they fall in public. The tree falls with a great crash, but the secret decay which accounts for it is often not discovered until it is down on the ground. Watch, church. The highest religious leaders of, of Jesus' day, right, could, could uh, trace their lineage all the way back to Aaron. I mean, these are the guys. This is the upper, upper echelon of everything. These are the ones who murdered Jesus, right? That sounds harsh, doesn't it? I think what's important today is there is no pastor or, or minister who's infallible. I think we have to realize that, man, we have to be connected. We have to be watching. Why is prayer so important? We see it right in the garden, right? Watch. Pray. 
Isaiah said, I think this is a good verse, Isaiah 8, 20, it says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Right? We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be vigilant. Not only does our flesh, right, not want to do these things, we have an adversary who says, come, look at this fruit. It's good. It tastes good. It looks good. Right? He didn't really mean sin. That's such a harsh word. We must be vigilant. The second point here is, I, I broke up second verse here, but I wanted to focus on the first part just to simply say, Paul has an expectation, right? So the Christian is to be diligent with God's word, right? And so let all that you do. And, and, and even though the, in the motive here, which is the last point, is love, but I want us to focus that there is a direction to Christianity. We hear this over and over. And so Paul is saying here, all these imperative verbs, right? I want you to do these things, but there's also a way in which we go about doing them. We do them with love, right? But there is an expectation. Paul says, I want you to actually go back and all those divisions that we talked about in the first three chapters, yeah, we're gonna have to work on that, right? We're gonna have to deal with those things. We're gonna talk about your attitudes one to another. We're gonna talk about church discipline. Remember the one brother who is, who is sinning? Yeah, we're gonna have to put him out of, the, out of the fold because he's professing Christ and yet he is in uh, sexual sin, He's talking about uh, relationships and marriages, right? He's talking about divorce. He's covered all these things. He's talking about being puffed up uh, with, with knowledge and not being filled with love. He's talked about the people who've come to the communion table, right? We got there early and we drank all the wine. We've got to fix this, right? So Paul has this expectation that they would go back and be diligent. The church has to be diligent with the gospel and all of God's word. There's, there's a, a work to be done. I think here is, is one of the, the, the elements where the church could simply say, you know, it's, it's, let's just focus on one side of the Great Commission. Now, we would never say that out loud, but uh, in application, sometimes I think this is what we do because, let's face it, discipleship is tough work, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want someone going, hey, you, you know, you've been in sin. Oh, come on, I, can't, come on. I know, right? Hey, you didn't, you didn't quite get this right. Keep working on it, Right? You don't always want to hear those things. But Jesus tells us in the Great Commission to what? Go and make, right? So churches today often have this tendency to go one or the other. Let's just focus on evangelism. That's a lot easier to do evangelism than to lead them to Christ and say, oh, now what? Well, we'll just keep them in spiritual first grade, right? Because we're still focused on evangelism. If you're focused on evangelism, that's where your teaching is at, is, is man, the basics, the other churches, right, who, who uh, ignore evangelism usually focus on what? Let's just decide, we'll call it good, right? It's discipleship. But really there's, because they don't want to do evangelism. So they just kind of grow and, and just say, well, it's discipleship. We just kind of you know, hang out here. It's not what Jesus tells his church to be doing. And I'll be honest, why this, there's always a temptation. Let's just focus on one or the other, right? Because it's easy. I'll just be honest with you. It's easy to build a crowd. It's a lot harder to build a church. This is why Jesus says, I will build my church. How do you do that? Well, we teach all of the word of God. This is why it takes, it takes hard work. It takes maturing. Why do you see Paul saying, grow up, grow up? Because we have to mature. It's not just your life. It's not just you being confident in the gospel. It's about your light shining and influencing your family and those you come in contact with. So God doesn't make mistakes. I don't care what the world has told you. It doesn't make mistakes. 
You're not here by accident. You're not here by a fluke, some coincidence, random thing, whatever the world says. They're eating from the wrong tree. You're here on purpose. God has given you gifts and abilities and talents. And there is an expectation. Jesus tells us that a disciple does what? He picks up that cross, follows after Jesus. So the church must rid itself of that philosophy, right? Seeker-driven. And we must have a heart for the lost. Absolutely, it's evangelism. We always want to do that. But we should never say, and I've actually heard these words, we're all about the Sunday. Which means that the rest of the week is just, you know, do whatever you want, but we're all about the Sundays. We want to produce a really good product. We want to be excellent. The mode is radically different. And see, the problem with that is why I say this is that's, that's just the God of self. We're making the attender the most important. This is the physical satisfaction. This is what the enemy did in the garden. It's good. Come eat of our product. This is how the enemy treated Jesus. Come, make this, this stone into some bread. It's good. John calls it the lust of the flesh. See, the gospel is completely opposite. Come, give your worship, right? Come, call upon his great name. He's a king, not a beggar. He's an awesome God. So we must be diligent. Paul has an expectation that you're actually going to be Christian. That you're going to do hard things. We're going to fix the divisions. We're going to come together in Jesus' name. We're not going to, we're not going to play church. We're going to be the church. And of course, the last point here is he put it all in the context and motivation of love. Now, this is our character, right? Motivated by love. Let all that you do, all the work you're going to do in the church, right? All the things that have to be dealt with, here's your motivator. It's the defining marker of all of Christianity, right? Love. Now, we're talking, when we talk about this, we mean biblical love, right? Biblical love is discipleship-driven love. It is a love that says, hey, that's sin. Let's repent of it. Let's forsake it, and let's follow after Jesus. That's the love we're talking about. Paul has used this. He gave a whole chapter to this love, right? What it means to be a follower of Christ. He also said in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, the context or the contrast, rather, of love over knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up, right? It's rooted in biblical love is what he's talking about. Jesus references love as he summarizes the Ten Commandments and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as your Self. Man, if we could just do that, what a radical change would happen in our communities, huh? So there is the idea of love, our relationships, and Paul is coming and saying, Christians, right, you should love one another. These divisions have to end. You must come together because the goal is what? The glorification of our God, right? Because of his son, we come under his word. We don't eat of the tree, the tree of the world. We say, no, his word is true. We be vigilant and diligent with love, right? That's the context of how we exist. That's our character. Why is this important? Well, I, you know, as an example of this, a great example of this is the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, right? Jesus comes and says, there are some really good things. I see your labor, right, that you have. I see your patience, Right? I see that you detest the theology and the, the miss or the bad, wretched theology of the Nicolaitans, right? That you hate that theology and you've spoken to that. I'm going to tell you right now, that had to take some, some diligence and some vigilance, right? I mean, that's a good, a good element there. And Jesus tells them these are good things. 
You have courage. You have determination. I even think every single one of us would want to have Jesus come and say, man, you're running the race. You're being strong. But then he says, this I have against you. You have neglected. You have forgotten. You've left behind your first love. Jesus doesn't tell them they have no love. Specifically, their first love. See, this church became very complacent. Right? This is what we do. Their love for Christ, their love for one another had once motivated them, propelled them. It's that same grace that you need, man, I need that grace. That's the love. That's someone who comes to Calvary every day and every Lord's Day and is with tears and saying, he died for me. See, they lost that somewhere along the line and everything they did had become mundane, mechanical, routine, self-satisfying. Even in their diligence and their vigilance, they become a church that has not love. See, for us, and it's easy, I would say it's easy for us, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, to allow your walk with the Lord just to become something that's commonplace. This is what I do on Sunday. And this is what I do on this day, and, and so on the following. But Paul has these few words, right? Watch, be watching. Man, stand strong in the faith. Steadfast. It's the name. The name Jesus has been given. The gospel's been given to you. You're going to have to be strong with it. You're going to have to do hard things in the church, in your community, in your family. You're going to have to stand for Christ. You cannot become complacent. The church is to be diligent. The church is to be watching. Be watching, Christian. Here in a moment, we're going to close with a song, and I, I picked this song because the chorus says, Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus, may my heart be ever yours. This has to be the focus, right? Understanding the gospel, your, your love for Christ and who he is. And see, this morning, some of us might be saying, you know what, man, I, I'm so far from that. I'm so far from vigilance, excuse me, get the word out. So far from being diligent. I'm barely holding on. Well, we simply go back to Peter's life. If that's you today, you have to go back to Peter's life. And you have to finish that illustration. See, when Peter denied him the third time, what did he do? He wept bitterly. And after Jesus rose, right, he reinstated Peter. And he come, came to this moment and he calls Peter and Peter wants to go desperately, just like you would be. You're human, he's human. Right, your love for your Savior, and you know what you did. He wept. He was broken over his sin. I, I, I've got nothing. And Jesus reinstates him, right? Peter, do you love me? And he, even there, you know, he, you know he wants to say, yes, you know I love you, and he wants to bury his heart, but he's so broken, he doesn't even want to talk about it. Right? He says, Jesus, you know, what about that other disciple over there? And he says, don't worry about him. Do you love me? 
So Jesus knows, right? He knows that there is a work for Peter. There is works in front of him. There's things I'm going to need you to do. Peter from the Gospels to his letters is a radically different person. And see, often in our Christian life, because we've gone through some issues, we've gone through brokenness, and I get it, I'm a human. I understand that. Where we come to this place and it's difficult to pray, and we're just like, man, I can't even be vigilant. I can't, I'm struggling. And often we'll come to this place, and I'll say it many times, we'll come, we'll just say, you know what, it's not worth it. And we'll see, unfortunately, the old Peter, we'll see complacency, we'll see laziness. Pretty soon I, I, I watch from afar, and pretty soon, you know what, I'm hanging out with sinners. It's Psalms 1, right? You're walking with sinners, you're standing with sinners, next thing you're sitting and, and just with the scoffers. That's where you're at. That's what Peter was doing. We see when he realized what had happened and the rooster crows, he weeps and he's called on his sin, right? The Lord did it so he would, he would know. And there's that moment Jesus is looking into his eyes and he's saying, do you love me? See, today you can't allow those things. You have to be vigilant and diligent. You have to be motivated by love. You have to be propelled by the gospel. And you have to hear the words of Jesus asking you, do you love me? Then be, continue, right? Be watching. Be standing fast in the faith. Do you love me, church? Then our response is, yeah, let me be diligent with the gospel. Let me be strong with the gospel. Help me to, to talk about Jesus. Let me hear him again. You love me. Church, you love me. And our response, I know, like, like me, would be, yes, you know we love you. Then do it all in love. Have patience for your brothers and sisters. Be right, loving. Go forward. And you hear those words, and no longer does the enemy say, oh, man, here, look, eat from this tree. You say, no, Lord, help me. Follow after you. See, that's what Jesus does. He reinstates Jesus, only Jesus. Help me trust you more and more. Jesus, only Jesus. May my heart be ever yours. Don't allow yourself to become complacent. Keep Calvary precious. Keep it in front of you. That's what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this time you've given to us. That we can simply assemble in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear your word, be encouraged by it, be strengthened by it. Be reminded that you are, Lord, you are uh, the king, the great king. And we know, Lord, that today you are, you are a savior, but when that day comes, when you return, mm -hmm. Father, we know that you will not come as a savior, you will come as a judge. So I pray this day, Lord, for each of us this morning. Lord, if we haven't come to a place of full conviction and trust about who Christ is and what Christ has done, we haven't come to a place where we understand that we are on the outside and, and that you don't uh, simply send sin to hell, you send the sinner. And Father, if we're unrepentant, if Christ is not Lord of our lives, then Lord, let us realize by your Spirit that that wrath is reserved for us. But I also pray, God, that if, if, if that is, is some here today, that, Lord, you would open their eyes. Lord, by your spirit, their heart would be regenerated. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by your word. Let your word, Lord, open their eyes and their ears today that they would believe on Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for every soul here today that we would not become complacent, 
It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to come and do things so, so often that we may be shocked that we ever fail. But let the preciousness of Calvary be in front of us. I pray, Lord, for those this morning who, who might be thinking this is a great message for everyone else, but not for me. And maybe there's some cares we need to let down, some sins we have to repent of, or just a struggle that's going on. May today be a day we let those things down at your feet. That we would hear those words, Jesus speaking to us, do you love me? And I know, Lord, we often want to, to turn to the, to the left or to the right but just as David said in Psalms, blessed is the man who trusts you who doesn't waver. So let us not waver today, Lord. Let us say, here is my heart. Here is my life. Lord, let me love you. Help me in my unbelief. Strengthen me. Help me to become vigilant, to be watchful and praying. We know we have an adversary. We know we live in the context of a world that is taking on a new a pagan religion. But Father, the same answer, the same answer that, that is given to us is the same answer that they need to hear. There is the name of Jesus, no other name which we might be saved. So Lord, I pray you impress that upon us, impress the this, this seriousness of this, that while there is still time, while Jesus is still a Savior, Lord, please let us come to a place where we believe on him. So, Father, as your children, as your church, continue to lead us, continue to guide us. The conversations we'll have this week and the things that we come across, Lord, let us be watchful. Let us be standing fast in the faith. Let us be brave. Let us be strong. And let us do everything, Lord, in love. Father, we do. We thank you. We love you. We pray this all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here this morning and you have some questions about the message or about what it means to be saved, I would love to, to answer or help you in any way that I can. Our elders are always available for that. Uh, please don't go another day. If you don't know Christ, if you're not sure of that, then let me pray with you. We can stick around after the service, and I would love to, to help you if I can. Uh, as I said earlier, we're going to close with a song.